You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. So we're starting a brand new series this week called 2020. We are looking back 20 years at what God has done in our church's history. We're looking forward uh, to the continuing story of what we believe God might be doing the next 20 years. And so whether you're joining us from the venue, the cafe, the auditorium, or online from like New York to New Delhi, we are so excited to have you here with us this weekend. And I need your help wherever you're at. In three weekends, we're getting all celebration, all stories of what God's done service. We need your stories. Otherwise, it'd be a really short service. And so uh, if, you, if you receive one of these share your story forms, our ushers have two things for you today. You can raise your hand. One, they have Bibles. If you'd like a Bible, you can raise your hand. They'll get you a Bible. Two, they'll get you your own copy. So everybody has their own copy of share your story. We are looking for your stories sent in as soon as possible. For maybe you've been here one week, but God's changed your life already in one week or affected you in some way. Let us know your story of how God's moved in your life, in your household. Let us know your story. Go online to it. There's a button on our website or go to visitgracechurch.com. Or actually go to uh, email us at stories at visitgracechurch.com and let us know your story so we can put together that service and celebrate what God has done. All right, so this week I want to start off with a question. And it relates to this book, the Bible. Is there a promise right now, a promise from the 66 books of the Bible, that's a promise from God to you that you're trusting God for right now? And if so, what is that promise? Is there a promise from the Bible where you read and you're like, well, God promises that. And you're holding on to that promise just like if you were adrift in the ocean and you had one life preserver You're holding on to that promise in the Bible, like your life preserver in the ocean. Now there's some, depending on how you count them, there's like 3,500 to 7,000 promises in the Bible. And some of those promises are unconditional, doesn't matter what you do, God's going to do it, doesn't matter whether you believe it, what you think about it, you try to stop it, it's going to happen, it's an unconditional promise. Others are very conditional promises. God says, if you do this, if you think this, if you, then I will do this. That's very conditional based on your thoughts, your actions, your attitudes. They're both conditional and unconditional. And there's all types of promises. Promises about yourself, promises about God himself, about your health, relationships, future, direction, finances, you name it. Is there a promise that you're holding on to? Like a life preserver. Now, if you're new to grace or you're new to church, or you're new to Jesus and you have no idea, that's totally fine. We're excited you, have no, you know nothing. Because this is a great place to come. This is the place you come to learn something. So we're so glad to have you here. Don't feel bad at all. Here's a great uh, expert tip on how to get a promise from God. You, you do an internet search on Bible promises on blank. You'd be amazed how many lists of promises are out there dealing with your crisis, your situation right now. Bible promises on blank. They're out there. You can find them. Now, it was 20 years ago at our very first service that uh, we were starting, it was September 29th, coming up, that's our anniversary coming up, September 29th, 
And I shared one of those 7,000 promises. It's the first time the word church is mentioned. It's an unconditional promise to the church. And we needed that promise 20 years ago. Here's a picture of Grace Church, our first service, September 29th, 1996. 30 people or so, half of them just being there and being nice to me. Uh, And my mommy's there. She's on the right-hand side. That's my mom. And she's still here, part of our church, still serves with our Grace Kids Ministry. Here, the next uh, picture is me on September 29th, 1996. Oh, that's a good look. That's a good look. Get a look at that, that glasses and that tie, because I still have the glasses and tie. Now, I'm not sure what that says about me. Uh, here I am. If I wait long enough, maybe they'll come back into style. Uh, this pulpit we used for nine and a half years in temporary facilities. Uh, this thing is a beast. It weighs like 400 pounds. I don't know, 200 pounds. It's crazy heavy. And uh, I'm sure it defends me against any sort of weapons thrown my direction. So, uh, so that's, I'm going to take this off to spare us with this. But it was 20 years ago that I said, guys, we need this particular promise. And so I got invited to visit one of our former staffers with a new church plant, Josh Shonick. Here's a picture of our team going to California, visiting Josh Shonick. He's on the left-hand side. He used to be our Grace Student Ministries pastor. He's now started a brand new church plant in Solana Beach, California. Here's his church called Surfside Church. He asked me to speak that weekend. And so I really felt compelled to speak on the first promise, the first time the word church is mentioned, the very same promise I spoke on 20 years ago. Back in January, I spoke to Surfside Church. And if you want to find out about their church, there's their website, surfside.church. Cool name. Just type in surfside.church. And if you're visiting Solana Beach, check in on them and worship with them. I want to revisit that same promise as we look at the next 20 years. We need this promise more today than we needed it 20 years ago. And we needed it 20 years ago. We need it more today. And you can write in your notes, Matthew 16, verse 18. Here's the first time the word church is mentioned. There's a principle of Bible study called the law of first mention. The first time any word or concept in the Bible is mentioned often establishes God's pattern for it for the rest of Scripture. This is the first time the word ekklesia in Greek, the word church is mentioned. You're going to see God establish so many patterns at the law of first mention of the word church here in Matthew 16, 18. Here's what the verse says. And it's five words, five points today. Verse 18. And I also, Jesus says, I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, here it comes. I will build my church. Five words to that promise. I will, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Here's the first of 115 times or so God mentions the word church in the scripture, but this one, the law of first mention, establishes this pattern. It starts with Jesus. It is a promise. It is going to be attacked. It's what God wants to do to build this world. And so we're going to pray and really learn this promise again and claim it together again as a church family. So let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you for this promise. I think it is one of those unconditional promises that it doesn't matter what we do or what we think about or even the opposition against it. You said you will build your church. And so we ask you to see the church from your eyes, um, to have the attitude toward it you desire us to have, to see the, 
the redemption and the work of building you want to do. And for all of us who are either trusting promises or need to find a promise, may this inspire us, show us how we need to gather together to even hold on to that promise better. We pray this, Jesus, for your glory, your honor, your credit, and we pray you'd fulfill this promise. Would you build your church? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I need your help. There are five words. We're going to say them nice and loud. If you're driving in a car down the road, I hope that somebody next to you says, wow, they said that loud. And so there's five words. I will build my church. What is the first word? This is not a trick question. What is the first word, nice and loud? One, two, three. I. I. Don't, nice and loud. One, two, three. I. I. Jesus is the I of that. He is the I of that statement. And so I represents the church is about Jesus. It starts with the I am. He is the I in that promise. He is the one who thought of the church. He invented the church. He bought and died for the church. It's his church. It's his idea. The church is about Jesus. There is no plan B. Like he didn't say, okay, I'm going to reach the world with the church, but the church fails. Let's try this organization or government. No, no, the church is the way God wants to reach this world. And the church is totally flawed. I mean, just totally messed up. This church has been messed up since I joined it. And I was the only guy. And by the way, you coming have not helped. So we're all the same. We're all imperfect and flawed and it's beautiful to Jesus. Like my wife is, is totally flawed and I'm even worse. But it's, it's in the imperfections that we see Jesus. When he looks at us, he sees flawed people. It's, do you realize how much God loves you, accepts you? And it's through your flaws that he sees his own strengths the most. He sees you, accepts you. So many people are hurt by churches and it's horrible. We have done our share and we will still do our share of hurting people. Don't want to do it. Don't mean to do it. And you get one or two bad experiences and they, if you've met people, they swear off the church. I'm done with the church. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Can't stand the church. A lot of those people, they, they, they don't do that with, with men or women. They're like, I had two bad dates. I hate women. You recover from that. Well, same with the church. Of course there's bad experiences. And Jesus takes the church really personally. Like just how personal, like he takes it like his own body, like his own wife. Like that's how personal he takes this, the church. How he takes our church, Grace Church. In fact, look at it. It's like his body. Colossians 1.18. Look at Colossians 1.18. This is how personal Jesus takes the church. Colossians 1.18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. It's like his body takes it personal. Who is the beginning? The firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Jesus takes the church just as personal as someone takes their own body. Can you imagine some guy and girl on a date and the girl says, I want want to tell you something. The guy's all excited to hear this moment. Something really big. You need good news and bad news for you. First, the good news. I've dated you for a little bit of time. I want you to know how much I love your head. And your face is awesome. That's the good news. The bad news is I can't stand being around your body. Oh, your body just, I I can't stand your body. If I could just cut off your head, have a relationship with your head without your body, it'd be awesome. The guy'd be devastated. Why? You take your body personally. I want you to imagine Jesus' own body. Imagine that sacred moment when he was born. And there Joseph, besides Mary, is the first one to lay eyes on the baby Jesus. 
Here's Joseph and Mary in that sacred moment in the manger. And Joseph makes this comment. You know, he's got a nice head and all. But boy, is his body ugly. I mean, how would Mary, she'd pop his head off. She could, he's a man, am I glad I'm not his real dad. I'm just his stepdad because that is an ugly body. How would she respond? She'd hate that statement. Jesus takes the church. When someone says, I can't stand the church, they just told Jesus, I can't stand your body. If I could have your head and cut off your body, because I got hurt by your body, I want to cut your body. That's how personal Jesus takes. People running smack, talking trash about the church. It's his own body. It's like his wife. It's like his wife. Look in Ephesians 5.32. Here, here God's talking about the standard for husbands and wives. But then he ends up saying, man, it's really like Christ is the husband. The, the church is his wife, the bride. Verse 32, this is the great mystery. Talking about marriage. But I speak concerning Christ, who's the husband, and the church. It's his wife. I want you to imagine someone trash-talking someone you love. Like someone, who do you care about most in this world? And imagine hearing them trash-talking that person. If you're a spouse, like your spouse. How would that make you feel if they say, you know what, I like you. I can't stand that person. Your spouse is an idiot. I don't want to ever see your spouse again. I had too bad experience with your spouse. I don't want to, they're talking trash about your spouse. How would you feel? Here's a picture of my wife and I. I have no problem. This is Kathy and I. I have no problem if somebody has legitimate concerns about my wife. She is a sinner. She is flawed and I'm even worse. And it's beautiful. I think she's beautiful, but I know she's flawed. And if somebody wants to talk about her, her, whether it's her uh, questions or concerns about her, and they're respectful, I got no problem with that. That's awesome. Fair game. But if someone trash talks my wife, Kathy, if someone inappropriately texts my wife, Kathy, if someone threatens my wife, Kathy, that'd be very unwise for them. It's only happened once in our marriage. Once. Some guy was sending threatening texts to my wife. We had a brief conversation. Kathy and I are both thankful. Those threatening texts stopped. We're both very thankful for that. But I'm telling you, I, I read those texts. I was on fire. On You don't... Who do you think you are threatening my wife? When people talk trash about the church, how do you think Jesus feels? Or how about this? Just They don't care. Yeah, I love Jesus. Church is not a big deal to me. In fact, if I never see your wife again, who cares? She's no big deal. That's how Jesus feels. It takes it really personal. I will build my church. It starts with Jesus. It takes it real personal. We need this promise more today than we did 20 years ago. Here's a second word. I will build my church. What's the second word? I will. One more time. Nice. I will build my church. Will. He's promising promises. The church is about Jesus' promises. It's about Jesus' promises. When you say you will do something, you just promised it. Like, it doesn't make it more promise when you say, well, I promise I'll do something versus I will do something. They're the same thing to God. You know, some people are like, well, I promise. If you're having to say that, it's because people don't believe you. So here's the thing. Think of two types of people in your world. We all got them where some people say they will do something and you don't believe them. Hey, I'll do that. You're like, ah, you love them. You accept them. 
You love being with them. You don't trust them. And if it's really important, they say, I will do it. If it's really important, you don't believe them. You mark it down, you follow up because you don't believe them. Why? They're not people of their word. Their promises, they, they, don't, they, don't, they mean well. They just don't mean anything. Other people, don't you know people in your world that if they say they will do something? It's happening. It's like the sun coming up. Like some casual, hey, I'll be there for you. You're like, whoa. They just promised to be there. I was talking to my son. He made an I will statement this week. We were talking about it. He was making a promise. Didn't realize, didn't realize that's a promise. I said, hey, son, when you say you will do something, he's my senior boy in high school. When, I, I want you to be very careful when you say you will do something. Because when you say you will do something, you just promised. You say you'll, do, you'll be there. It's like the sun coming up. That's why we're very careful. We don't just throw around, I, I'll, I'll do that. Because it's our promise. And I said, here's the thing. That reflects on Jesus. People learn about how he keeps his 7,000 promises by whether we keep our promises. See, Jesus promises in the Bible all types of things. There's promises that if you feel stress, I promise to get rid of your stress and anxiety. That's in there. You need direction, I promise to give you direction. When you're hurt by someone, I promise to get rid of it. God's presence, I promise to be there. You want to have enough financially? I promise to do this. Promises about your friends, dating, spouse, kids, career, God's love for you, view of you, acceptance of you. God's promise of the church, changing people, crisis situations. Our battle is to keep holding on to that promise when we're in the middle of the ocean of crisis and you don't see the rescue boat. And you're like, okay, God, I'm holding on this promise. In fact, that's even a biblical example. Write down 2 Timothy 1.13, which says to hold on to his words. 2 Timothy 1.13, hold on to his promises. And our challenge is to keep doing the right thing when God has not yet fulfilled them. Hebrews 10.36. Hebrews 10.36 says this. For you have need of endurance... That after you've done the will of God, when you keep doing his will, you may receive the promise. Here's our challenge. Hold on to the promise. Keep doing the will of God. Endure to that crisis moment. And then God will fulfill the promise. A lot of times I want, and you're like me, I want God to do it first. Then I'll follow him. He says, no, no, no. I promise. And you follow and don't see it yet. And then I fulfill it. Guys, we need this promise more than ever. I will build my church. And there are seasons, by the way, dark moments in our church that I really went to God and said, God, is this really going to happen? Are you about to shut down our church? If you do, it's your church. Not my church anyway, not my idea. It's your problem, it's your fault. You better fix the problem in your church. I literally said that. (laughs) I will build. The church is about Jesus' promises. It's also... I will build my church. What's the third word? I will build. I will build. Absolutely. Church is about restoration. That's what we're all about. We're about building people up. The church is not a social club, though we get social. We do get social. The church is not a networking place, though we do network together. The church is a hospital where hurting people go. The church is a rehab facility where you learn how to walk with God. The church is a place where we're all little mini construction projects. And God's always doing demolition inside of us and reconstruction inside us 
Renovation, he's building. Church should be a place where you're built up. You're built up. Over the years, I've seen just, I can't tell you how many marriages. It's not every marriage, not every marriage, but how many marriages. Because a church banded around a couple. They sought help. They opened up themselves. They're married now. And they would have been divorced. I can't tell you how many marriages like that. Because God used the church to minister, to build them up. I can't tell you how many parents got to a crisis mode with their kids and didn't know what to do. Got direction, hope, support. I can't tell you. There's so many people gave their life to Jesus and they're different. And everybody around them knows it. There's a guy in our church named Mark Sontry. When he got saved, he was radically changed and different. And people knew it and see it. I can't tell you how many people who have individuals with special needs in their house. You have an individual with special needs in your house, your divorce rate skyrockets among the highest population in our country, over 90%, way up there in the 90s, of those people get divorced. And our ministry to those with special needs and their families gives respite, hope, worship, so they can stay together, so they can worship God, so it supports them and they connect with God with their special needs. I can't tell you how many people have found the freedom of acceptance. Tears streaming down their face when they realized I don't have to do anything or be good or change my life to receive acceptance. That's what grace is. I was meeting a guy, a friend of mine this week, who made the comment. He says, Tim, I I read the Bible through years ago. I read through it years ago. And I thought to myself then, why would you read the Bible daily? That's a waste of time. He says, but now I am reading through the Bible daily. I got a plan I'm working through right now, and it's coming alive. Like every day I connect with God, every day I get direction, every day I'm, cl- I'm closer to God because I spend time in, his, in the Bible. That came because of his connection through the church. His ministry has given him support through the church. God uses the church to build people up to what, to restore what God originally intended for people's lives. It's why we asked you for your stories. See, the normal Christian life is when you're asked for a story, here's the normal life. Are you crazy? How do I put all my stories on this? I got a hundred stories right now. That's the normal Christian life. You know what's weird to God? When you don't have a story. People who don't have stories are people who are infrequent attenders or they're regular attenders and they don't connect with, they don't serve or they don't connect in relationship, grow with other people. You lose sight of the stories. It's an easy fix to have a bunch of stories. In fact, here's what God intends. Ephesians chapter 4. He talks about the spiritual gifts he gave to the church. But then he says, what is the church for? It's for building you up, restoration. Ephesians 4, look in verse 12. What is the church for? It's for the equipping of the saints for the work. We're here to equip you to work, to do the work of the ministry. We're not here to have staffers and leaders do the work for you. That's dysfunctional. It's to have the body parts do the work God made them for. And if you're a body part, you're in the body of Christ. God takes you personally. And you're not serving. You're a body part. If I stop using my hand, I would slowly get weaker and weaker. That hand would start to die off. It atrophy. That's what happens with body parts in the church who don't serve. They just sort of slowly start to atrophy. But it's an easy fix. You start being used. He says in verse 12, equip you to do the work of the ministry for the edifying. There's the word build. The building up 
of the body of Christ. That's the church is for building you up and mobilizing you. Verse 15, the, the church is to help you grow up spiritually. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. How do you grow up spiritually? You got to learn the truth and then you have to open your mouth and share it with somebody in love. It's by the act of speaking the truth in love that you grow up. Into him, in all things, who is the head? Christ. Guys, the church is about building. It's about where all these construction projects, as God demos areas and reconstructs, and we're all supporting each other. We need each other. The church is a place where we build each other up. I will build. What's the next word? I will build. Okay, you got to own this one. I will build. Absolutely, my church. The church is about servanthood. My church. Jesus did not say, I will build the church. He did not say, I will build your church. Grace Church is not Tim's church. It's not my church. Grace Church is not our leader's church. Grace Church is not even your church. You know, you need to be in a church where you don't like certain things. I don't like things about our church. To be honest, I don't like it. If it was up to me, I would just change it. If you're in a church that it meets every one of your preferences, you're in what's called a cult. (laughs) So I get it. You get your nose bent out of shape because you don't like stuff. I don't like stuff. Praise God you don't like stuff. It's not your cult. It's a church. And it's not yours. My church. Jesus says, my church. So my church, my church. He says, my church. So my daughter is two and a half. I got, a, I got two teenagers and I got a two and a half year old. And she's so cute. She's learning to speak. And she cracks us up. My wife and I are two teenagers. She just had new words. Her new ones, why? 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 Where'd she learn that? Why? She doesn't even know what that means. Why? But about half her sentences start with the word me. And it's really cute at two and a half. So she says like, hey, you want to go to Walmart? Me cookie! Me cookie! Because she gets a little blue covered cookie if she goes to Walmart. Hey, what do you want to do? Me Peppa! Me Peppa Pig! Me Dory! Me Dory! You want to go to church? Me church! Me church! A lot of us run around like that. It's cute when you're two and a half. It's not so cute when you're an adult, when you're a student, and you're like, me church! Me preferences! Guess what? It's not me money. It's not me church. It's not me career. It's not me kids. It's not me wife. It's not me dating. It's not me future. It's not me education. It's Jesus's church. Everything you have is not yours. I will build my church. My church. How do you know you have the attitude of servanthood that you know that the church is not yours? It's Jesus. You got a different attitude. You're like clothed with something. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Here's how you know you have the attitude of servanthood that you realize church is not about you making a cult that meets every one of your desires. Church is about being a place where we are challenging and growing with each other. 1 Peter 5 verse 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. If you are younger, God commands you to submit to your elders. What does submission mean? Great definition. Write it down. People are confused with this. Submission is an attitude of willingness to follow. That's it. Submission's the attitude. The attitude of willingness to follow. 
and younger people are commanded to have an attitude of willingness to follow their elders. And guess what? The elders must have an attitude of willingness to follow the younger generation. Look what he says. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. I'm supposed to have an attitude of willingness to follow you and be clothed with humility. Humility is something you clothe yourself with. So wherever you're at, maybe you're driving in a car somewhere, you're in the venue. We are so glad. I'm making a guess. We are so glad you have clothes on. We're just pumped that you have chosen to put clothes on. You have clothed yourself today. And we are, speaking on behalf of all of us, so glad. But you made a choice. You got up in the morning and you put clothes on with humility. That's a daily decision to clothe yourself. You don't get up and intentionally clothe yourself in humility. Your arrogance will be showing. Look what he says here. Be clothed with humility. And then there's a two promises. Two, two unconditional promises based on whether you're clothed with humility. And people get a sense. They can see it. It's like clothing. They can see whether you're submissive, willing to follow. Whether you see whether you're clothed with humility. He says, God resists the proud. That's an unconditional promise to arrogant people. Unconditional promise to people who are just in it. I, I just don't follow God. I follow myself. Guess what God does to you? He resists you. You wonder why life's hard. You're trying to head this direction. God stuck his mighty hand out and stuck it on your head. Why is life so hard? Because God promised to resist the proud. That's why your life's so hard. I re- even good things I resist. But it's such a good thing. I know but I promised to resist you. If you're not clothed with humility, I resist the proud. There's the opposite promise though. It's easy. Just put your clothes on of humility. Then he will give grace to the humble. He helps those with unique, unconditional support if you're clothed with humility. And it's a commandment to humble yourself, to put on your clothes. Therefore, humble yourselves. He never says to ask God to humble you. That was the dumbest prayer I've ever prayed. It's the top of my dumb prayers. I prayed at one point, legit, I can't believe it, I did it. God, would you just humble me? Humility is so important. That's a stupid prayer. Because you know what? God answered me. And I was humbled by God. And then I read the Bible and went, that is a dumb prayer. I'm supposed to choose to put my clothes on. I'm supposed to humble myself. That's a dumb prayer. I never, by the way, I've never prayed that again. We're supposed to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You see, how do you know you're living this attitude of servanthood? The place of a church, this is the attitude moment. Jesus envisioned the place of the church. I, it's about Jesus, will, he's going to do it no matter what we think or do. Build, that's what we're all about, my. When you know it's not your church, people see the servanthood, see the humility, they see it. I, we need that attitude more now than ever. It was easy to be humble back in the beginnings. We need this now. It's his church. I will build my, what is the last word? I will build my, I will build my. We kind of wish the word church was translated differently because it's confusing to people. You're thinking building. It's the word community. The word church is from the Greek word ekklesia, which literally means community or gathering or assembly. That's what the word church means. In fact, it's, it's actually unfortunate we even call, have the word church today. It's kind of sad because people think building. If you've ever said this phrase, and I say it too, 
hey, it's time to go to church. You can't go to church. This building is not the church. We go gather with the church. Church is the people. Like wherever we gather, there the church is. In fact, we probably should, to be biblically correct and help people not be confused, change our name from Grace Church, which people think building, to Grace Gathering, where they think people. And then we get this cool logo, like GG or like G squared, Grace Gathering. And then we wouldn't be confused anymore that the church is not the building. The church is the people. Our communications people are freaking out that I'm about to change our name. But we need each other. Look in Hebrews chapter 10. We need to gather because when you don't gather with the church, you're like a body part, a hand going off on its own. What happens to your hand if it's cut off from the body? It dies. What happens to the body when you lose your hand? We have less. So you need to gather. We're called to gather and we miss out. We miss out on certain things. Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 22 through 25 lists three phrases. If you look at your Bible, let us, let us, let us. I'm going to skip the first. You can read verse 22. But this is what we're called to do together. We miss out if we don't have it. Verse 23 says this. Let us. That's together, the community. He didn't say let you singular. Let us plural, us together. Hold fast, like a life preserver, the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. We need each other. When you choose to make the gathering of the church a priority, you believe stronger and longer. You believe more. You hold on to the life preserver of the promises of God because you made the choice in your calendar to prioritize gathering as a very important thing to follow this commandment. He goes on to say, verse 24, let us, we need each other. Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us do this. We need to consider one another to stir up love and good works. What's that mean? You see, what happens to us, we're like paint cans. Every one of us is like a, a can of paint. When a can of paint is left to itself, the, the dyes actually settle. And so what do they do? When you open the paint can, you have to get your paint stirrer out, and you, you stir up the paint... Because it's settled. And you stir up the paint. You know what God says? Where do you get, you know what happens to your love? Your love, the moment you stop gathering, is starting to settle. Your love is settling. Your good works are slowly settling. He says, let us consider one another to stir up love, to stir up good works. See, you need the gathering. I need the gathering. We need to be. I get stirred up by you. You get stirred up by each other. And how do you do that? You place a high priority on your calendar for the gathering, for the church, the gathering. Not forsaking the assembling, the gathering, the church of ourselves together, as the man, as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more, as you see the day, that's the second coming of Christ, approaching. Here's the thing, the church, I will build my church. I will build my church. Jesus. The church is about Jesus. He is the I am. It starts with him. The first time you see the word church mentioned, he starts it off. It's as important to him as his own body. It's as loved and accepted, as flawed as she is, as his own wife. And when people talk trash about the church or say, I hate, it's like, I hate your body, I hate your wife. 
He loves the church and knows all of, her, all of our flaws. I will do this. He's going to build his church. Satan, will, the gates of hell will attack it. It doesn't matter. It's an unconditional promise. Yet we still pray it and claim it. We still believe it. He will. It's one of the 7,000 promises of God in the Bible. The first one to the church. I will build. We're not here just to please ourselves. We're here to, here to build each other up. That's what the church does. It's restoration of this world. I will build my church. I will build me church. Me church. It's his church. It's not my church. Not my church. Not your church. We need this attitude more than ever. The attitude of servanthood. Clothed with humility. I will build my community. Church. Gathering. We miss out when you don't gather. You miss out when you don't gather. This is a promise we need more today than ever. And I can tell you over 20 years, there were moments that I didn't want to come to my own church. (laughs) Is that bad? I'm the pastor. I caused the problems and I don't want to come. I want to go join another church and run away from the problems I caused. That kind of stunk. But I had to go because the church that God placed me in hadn't called me away yet. But now, I love you guys. I believe in you. I see an extraordinary move of God going on, both in our church and also what he's preparing for. I'm so excited. I'm more excited now than ever. I'm scared. You wonder, do you have what it takes? Do we have what it takes? But I'm excited. That's what faith is. Faith is risk. Faith is following God when there's a risk. If there's no risk, there's no faith. Here's the thing. Are you a believer in Christ going through a difficult situation, do you know there's a promise in the Bible for you? Are you clinging it to a life, like a life preserver, holding on? And the, the, the rescue boat is nowhere in sight. The helicopters are not coming. God wants you to continue doing his will, believing the promise. It is coming. You need endurance. And you believe better. You hold on longer. As Hebrews 10 says, when we gather with each other, beyond just the weekend. If you've not received Jesus, here's two promises that I'm gonna encourage you to read and look up. These are the promises you need. Romans 10, 9, Romans 10, 13. Romans 10, 9, Romans 10, 13. Both are promises, but they're conditional promises. They're not automatic. He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. If you make with your mouth Jesus your boss forever, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You place your faith in the resurrection. You will be saved. A conditional promise. If you confess Jesus as your leader, if you believe in your heart, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13. Whoever, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you do it through a prayer, dear Jesus, calling on his name. If you say, Jesus, I am confessing you as I've given control of my life to you. That's what lordship is. My life is yours. It's not mine. It's your life. No longer me life. Me life! It's your life. It's not my life. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That promise is true for you. You will be saved. You will join God's family. That's the promise I'm begging those without Christ to receive today. And God is faithful. He'll answer that prayer. Let's pray.
God, we come to you, and I pray for, well, three different groups. I pray for those who are here. They're going through a crisis. Um, if they don't have a promise, may they go out and just do an internet search of Bible promises on blank and, and look among there. The Holy Spirit will resonate with some of those promises, pluck two or three off, and then begin praying and believing those promises that you will come through with. I pray for those who are believers in Christ. They have a promise, but it's hard to keep holding on. Sometimes it's really hard. And God, may they receive the support of the gathering to hold on better, hold on harder, hold on longer to the very promise that they are believing right now. And I pray for those without Jesus. They just never yet given their life to you. I pray right now to be people wherever they're at, driving in a car down the road, they're in New York, they're in New Delhi, they're in the venue, wherever they're at. I pray right now that they would people would call out to you and make Jesus the Lord of their life. They would cry out to you, Romans 10, 13. They would make you their leader forever, Romans 10, 9. They would place their faith in Jesus as the res- resurrected Savior, Romans 10, 9. And you said if they do those things, they will be saved. I pray people would give their lives to Jesus Christ right now, fully surrendered. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.